with Hello Heritage. Woo! Amen. Welcome, everybody. Well, we have the opportunity to say something I've never been able to say here at the Bettendorf campus, and that is welcome to the Rock Island campus, to our simulcast. We are glad you're here. As you can tell, the Bettendorf campus is very excited about this momentous occasion, and thank you for allowing us the opportunity to show that we truly are one church in many locations. And so we are excited to do this, and we are glad that you are here to join us with this. Today we're going to continue our journey through the book of Acts as we're looking at why the early church was an unstoppable force. Why were they a church on fire? And it begs the question to us, what does that mean for us today? What is it going to mean for us to be a church on fire? Because I believe that's important. If we're going to make a difference in our society, if we're going to make a difference in our communities and throughout the world, we are going to need to be a church on fire. In my hand here, I hold an ordinary Lego block. Now, to be honest with you, I don't think there's anything ordinary about Lego blocks. I think they're a pretty extraordinary invention in and of themselves. But a block is just a block until it's put in the hands of a master who can accomplish some extraordinary things with Legos that I could never, ever imagine. Many of the artists show that off. Several years ago, they started something called the Art of the Brick. And the Art of the Brick is a show that travels throughout the world to museums and art galleries where people show off their artwork using nothing more than Lego bricks. And some of the stuff they come up with is really, really incredible. For instance, one of the artist's name is Nathan Sawaya. He was an attorney who a few years ago quit his job to focus on Lego art only. And it is said that he owns more Lego bricks than anybody else in the world. It's pretty incredible. Or the web designer, Sean Kinney, began to make interesting designs out of Lego bricks in his apartment in New York City and now does this as his full-time job. His artwork is available in art galleries and corporations throughout the world. They are incredible. But these are just ordinary people with blocks of Legos that are accomplishing some really extraordinary things. Now, to put this in perspective, the 20-foot-long Tyrannosaurus Rex you're about to see here is uh, pretty incredible. And if you're thinking of building one, there's a couple things you need to know. The average Lego brick is about 10.4 cents a piece. So if you're going to want to build one of these, it will run you somewhere around $8,300. That's an expensive hobby. In America, we love an underdog, too. We love a rags-to-riches story. We love to see someone go from obscurity to fame. That's sort of the American dream. It's a little bit like my wife's all-time favorite movie, Major League. Actually, she hates that movie with all her might. <laughs> I learned long ago if I wanted her to leave the TV room, I just put that movie on. She leaves so fast, your head will spin. <laughs> 
And I don't understand why. I mean, besides the superb acting and the incredible intellectual wit in this movie, it's a great story, a bunch, a bunch of has-beens and never-wers that come together on a team to accomplish something they could never accomplish on their own. This is the stuff of legends. And how this movie did not win an Oscar is beyond me. But why do I bring up Legos in Major League? Well, as we come to Acts chapter 4, we, we come across a really interesting verse about the ordinary and what God does with it. Now, in this verse, two of the apostles have been arrested by the religious leaders because they have been preaching about Jesus. But more importantly, they healed a lame beggar, which to me seems like a really nice thing to do. But the religious leaders did not care for this at all. And so they brought him in to question them. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. And what it says is this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Notice two of the words there, unschooled and ordinary. I think this lie creeps into the church oftentimes that says this, God can't use me because I don't have the right education, or I haven't learned as much as this person, or I'm just not very smart, or God can't use me because I can't do this, or I can't do that, I'm just an average Joe. How, how could God possibly use me to do some of the things that he did with the people? But that is a lie, because the one thread we see throughout the book of Acts is this idea, God often uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. People just like you and I, God can perform the extraordinary in your life. And today we're going to talk a little bit about how God takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. He's doing it all around us. We just got to step into it. Got to get in the game. But we have to ask ourselves one very important question today. And that question is this. Are you willing to allow God to perform the extraordinary in your life? Are you willing to allow God to perform the extraordinary in your life? To find out more about what it means for God to work the extraordinary in your life, I'm going to turn it back over now to Pastor Dan at Rock Island. He's going to continue there, and I will continue here at the Bettendorf campus. We thank the Rock Island campus for joining us today. Off to you, Dan. Okay, good. (laughs) All right. It seems short, but that's a big step for us. Uh, And uh, thanks for being a part of that. Let's dig in. Y'all ready to learn a little bit about what it means to live an extraordinary life through Jesus? All right. There's five things today I want to highlight if you want to live an extraordinary life for Jesus. The first one is this. To live an extraordinary life, you will need to embrace resistance. You will need to embrace resistance. Have you ever gotten some good news before and you just wanted to tell everybody around you? You couldn't wait to go out there and tell everyone around you. But what if I came to you and said, hey, 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 hold on a second. Let me warn you about this. If you go out and tell this good news, you will face persecution. You may be arrested. In fact, you might even lose your life. How excited now are you to go tell this good news to everyone around you? 
This is very much how it was for the early followers of Jesus Christ. The reality was this. Their good news was not good news for everybody around them. Not everybody got excited to hear about this new life in Jesus Christ. And it's true today, too. You will find as you teach about this new life in Jesus Christ and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you aren't necessarily going to be well-received by everybody in the world. This message has challengers. This message has people who will push back at it. The world doesn't always want to hear the good news because it's not good news to them. I'm reminded of a, a young lady I met not too long ago. She decided to follow Jesus Christ. She gave her life and began to, to pray and live out this new life for him. And as she lived out this new life, she became aware that there were some bad habits and some behaviors in her life that were destructive, that were not good. And she began to want to live the life of freedom it was called to. So she stopped going to, to bars at all early, at all hours of the night. And, and she stopped wanting to drink so much that someone had to take her home. And she doesn't even remember how she got there. She stopped wanting to have one night stands and began to desire meaningful relationships with other godly men. And as she did that, she began to really feel better about life, have this new sense of freedom, and really enjoy this new life in Jesus Christ. The problem was the friends around her and the family around her didn't like it. Now she wasn't living like they lived. Now she wasn't where they were. She came across judgmental just because she lived that way. They started getting angry at her. They started to make fun of her. They started to ostracize her and push her out. This good news isn't always good news for everyone. And the early church struggled with this in their culture. And my dear friends, I want to warn us, I think we're going to as well in the coming years. I believe we are headed towards a season as the church that we've not seen before. A season where we are going to be attacked and accused our good news isn't going to be good news for everybody. And we're going to have to ask ourselves, how do we navigate this new season, this new reality? How do we build bridges with our culture? How do we engage people in a loving, gracious, kind way when our good news isn't always good news to them? In Acts 4.1, we see how the early church faced resistance. In Acts 4, verse 1, it said, The priests and the captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, for those who like to dig in deeper to verses and, and kind of find out the meaning behind the meaning, we're going to stop here and we'll dive in just a little bit. I mean, what's the big deal that a group of people are out there preaching about the resurrection of the dead? There's a couple things we need to realize here. The first one is this. During the first century Jerusalem time, there were two different groups competing for power in the temple. We often speak of them in terms of using them in the same sentence as if they're the same group, but they are not. One of the groups was called the Sadducees. The other group was called the Pharisees. And while they celebrated the same religion, Judaism, they had some different ideas about how they lived it out. 
This isn't all that different from what we experience today. I mean, even as we look at Christianity, we see there's a couple different streams in Christianity. There's a, a Catholic stream, right? And there's a Protestant stream in Christianity. Even our Muslim brothers and sisters, as we look at them, you will hear in the news sometimes about the Sunni and uh, the, uh, and I just went blank, um, the Shiite, thank you. Yeah, the Sunni and the Shiites. And so we see that it's not uncommon to have two competing groups. But what you have to realize that's different about the first century church that we don't necessarily experience is that the temple was not just a place of worship. In the first century Jerusalem, the temple was a bank. The temple was the courthouse. The temple collected taxes. The temple even regulated an army. The temple was the center of power and control in the first century world. And those who controlled it, and during this time it was the Sadducees who were in control of the temple, those who controlled it intended to hang on to that power at all cost. And so understand then, one of the biggest differences between the Sadducees and the Pharisees was the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not believe that there was a punishment or a reward when you died. The Pharisees did. So now you have another group, a third group coming up, and they're talking all the time about the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees are now starting to think our opposition party is gaining strength and gaining numbers. And so the reason they've got them there asking questions isn't necessarily a religious one. There's a power and control issue going on here. Who's going to be in control the second thing to note is this is the first reference we have in Acts of early Christians being arrested. And this would happen many times as we're going to continue through Acts. In fact, as we finish the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul is in prison writing letters to the churches. The good news is not good news to everyone. And as you live it out in your life, you will face persecution. You will face opposition. And we have to stand strong. Next thing we have to note about people that live extraordinary lives through Jesus Christ is this. Everything is built on relationship. Everything we do. Now, we've talked about this many times before, so I'm not going to camp out here a long time. But we know that you are not meant to do life alone. That you are, if you're going to live this journey, if you're going to live this life through Jesus Christ, you are going to need a group of people to come alongside you, to help challenge you, to help grow you, to help hold you accountable, to support you, and help you stand when you want to fall. As a community, we are a group of people. The church is the people of God. We're not meant to do this alone. So everything is about relationships. And as Pastor Sean's even talked about in the last couple of weeks, not just relationships with each other, but our relationships with the world too. As he's shown, there's an additional gap, not just between us and God, but there's an additional gap between us and the culture. And we have to work hard to build bridges with them through strong relationships and building trust to help move them from exploring to being a fully connected person in God's church. Everything is built on relationships. In Acts 4.32, it says this in describing the early church, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed 
that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. Wow. What would it mean for us to be a church that shared all things, that were of one heart and one mind? What would that even look like? I believe it would be a church on fire, a church that's truly going to make a difference in its community, a group of people living beyond themselves and beyond what they have and deciding, hey, I exist for others and I exist for God. That is a church on fire. The next thing extraordinary people do is this. They look for wow moments. Wow moments. And right now you're probably thinking, what in the world are you talking about? Have you lost your mind? Yes, but not because of this. Anybody who works for me or is in leadership around me is familiar with this concept of wow. It is borrowed from Walt Disney World in a book called Be Our Guest, which I encourage you to pick up and read. It is an amazing read about understanding how to engage people, guest relations, things like that. If you are a manager or owner of a business, I really encourage this, this book. It's really neat. And if you've ever been a part of the Disney experience, you know that they go out of their way to help this be an experience for you and your family. So we have a lot to learn sometimes from the world too, don't we? The concept of wows is this. There are little wows and there are big wows. And wow is exactly as it sounds. It's that reaction you have when you walk into a room or an environment and you are amazed, you are astonished, and what's your reaction? You go, wow. That's all it is. And we, we, we have to be intentional in our lives. We are intentional as a church. In your line of work, you need to be intentional about this as well, about creating these moments of wow. And what I encourage the leaders around me to do is each week they look for little wows. And little wows are just those small things you may do. You may just straighten an area. You may paint a wall. You may just do some stuff you don't necessarily see. But each week we strive to do that because good leaders are constantly asking the question, what does it mean to raise the bar? What does it mean to do what I do better? That's just good leadership. And so we constantly look for those little wows that we can do things a little bit better because we understand this. A lot of little wows done well and consecutively eventually equal a big wow. They eventually add up and people go, wow, over time this is just crazy and it's gotten better. If you've ever been in an environment like that, you understand it. But we also intentionally try to do big wows from time to time, too. The simulcast today is, is an attempt to do big wow. Or the water weekend for the kids out there is an attempt to do big wow. The dunk tank on the side of the church over here for Pastor Meredith and Pastor Zach is an excellent example of wow. And I will remind you, I haven't found it yet, but it's in there. It is a sin to dunk your campus pastor. But if you need him, he'll be after the 1045 service. In our lives, we need to, as we engage people, be looking for moments of wow, too. Moments where we get to step into someone's life, where they see the way we live and they go, wow. The early churches, they engaged the culture around them and lived their lives the way they lived, this new life in Jesus Christ. They, too, created wow. I want us to read together here in just a moment 
a writing from a second century Roman official describing the early church. I think this is pretty incredible. What he says is this. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor yet make many rich and they are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They are dishonored and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They are evil spoken of and yet are justified. They are reviled and blessed. They are insulted and repay insult with honor. They do good, yet they are punished as evildoers. And when punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks. And yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. To sum it all up in a word, what the soul is to the body, that the Christians are to the world. Wow. Wow. They didn't have to agree on everything. One party didn't have to be right and the other party wrong. It didn't have to be black. It didn't have to be white. But the very way they lived their life the very way in which they engaged the world, even in the midst of persecution, caused those who did not believe what they believed in to go, wow, I don't know what this is, but it's different. I like it. The early church, the way they lived their lives was wow. Next thing is this, extraordinary people living extraordinary lives through Jesus Christ realize that every day is a new opportunity. Every single day. And this is what sets Christianity apart from all other religions in the world. And here's why. As we look at Acts 4, verse 33, it says this, With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy people among them. Threatening the early church did not affect them. In fact, it seemed to only embolden them. It seemed to only make them stronger, more focused, because they stood firm on this message of what that verse talks about, grace and resurrection. They understood that there was grace, grace which is simply unmerited favor. None of us deserve the grace God gives us because all of us are sinners. All of us have separated ourselves from God, but it is only by God's grace that he sent his son to the world to die on a cross so that you can have the promise of forgiveness of sins for all those who believe. God's grace stands at the center of everything we do. God's grace says, come as you are. 
Come, no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, God's grace is for everybody. God's grace still works, and it's available to you. But just as we might say, come as you are, we never stop there because there's a second part of that statement, and he says, but don't stay that way. We understand that this promise of Jesus Christ for those who believe in him as Lord and Savior is that we are given new life and we are called to live out this new life in the world. What the resurrection says is no matter what you've done out of the pit of the life that you have created, out of the despair, out of the rubble, out of the heap of our sin and our disaster, God can take what is dead and he can give it new life through Jesus Christ. You do not have to be defined by your past. You do not have to live with guilt. You do not have to live in shame. The early Christians understand, and we have to understand too, every single day is a new opportunity to live out this life in Jesus Christ. Amen? Every day. You do not have to live in shackles with your sin because your sin is forgiven. And if the enemy can do anything, he'll cause us to believe, I'm not good enough because I did this or I can't do that because I'm this sort of person. And the cross says, you are forgiven by God's grace. And the resurrection says, your past is the past. You have new life in Jesus Christ. Now get out there and get the work done. Amen? They lived strong on that, and it was everything. And if you want to live an extraordinary life, you cannot live with shame and regret in your life. Because there's one last thing we have to realize if you want to have an extraordinary life, and that's this. Everyone can make a difference. Every single person can make a difference through Jesus Christ. God can take the ordinary and make it extraordinary but the question is this do you believe it I mean I think that's really what it comes down to isn't it you're like oh that's pretty Jason that's nice thanks for yelling at me yeah but do you really believe it really believe it because when you get hold of this when you grab hold of this there is a life of freedom waiting for you on the other side you have never experienced. When you realize that God loves you so much that you too were created to make a difference in this world, you will live with a new sense of identity and purpose you've never had before. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done. Everyone can make a difference through Jesus Christ. You've got to believe it. Which gets us to our so what moment. There's another last couple verses I want to read in Acts chapter 4 that are just incredible. And one of the things I want to encourage you to do in the coming week is I'd like you to take time to read through Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 in your private time if you'll do that. Because the reality is this, there's no way we can cover all the material that's in there. We just don't have the time today. But I encourage you to go through Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 in your quiet time and read through it. But for now, I want to read a verse in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 18. It says this, Then they called them in again, that's the religious leaders, the Sadducees, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you 
or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Which leads to this question. What is it you have seen and heard that you can't help but speak about it? Anything? What is it that you have seen and heard that is such good news that you can't help but tell the world about it? You can't help but live this life out. You can't help but want to be more than like Jesus. What is it you have truly seen and heard? What is the story you tell others about how God radically changed your life? What is it? I want to share a little bit with you maybe then about what I've seen in the last year or two to help you understand what I've seen and heard. And that's this. I have seen marriages that in my humanness, and I make mistakes too. I made one a couple years ago. Um, That's a joke. You can laugh. (laughs) If you don't believe my wife's downstairs, she'll be happy to clear that up. No, in my, in my humanness, I've seen marriages that I have said, there's not a chance. There's no way. There's no way they're going to make it past this. There's no way they're going to survive what happened. There's no way it can come out of this destruction. Only to see two spouses on their knees crying out to God. And today they represent a couple of the most powerful marriages I see in this campus. Only God can do that. Amen? Only God can do that. I know of a gentleman in our church who a group of us showed up to his hospital room to pray. That when we left a few minutes later, was healed. And the only thing the doctor could put in the doctor's report was some people came and prayed. That's the only explanation he had. Yeah. (laughs) Only God can do that. I've watched at least a couple of our good friends here at the campus who passed away this last year who lived their lives so radically for Jesus that even in our grief, we celebrated that Jesus is alive. That is a life lived out for Jesus Christ. Or the report from camp this week, five first-time commitments in our youth to Christ, 30 recommitments to Christ, and 21 students who feel a call to ministry. How awesome is that, huh? We have baptized entire families that have stood up and said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Last year, we baptized over 35 people here at the campus alone that said, Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. I watched as over 30 men each week showed up at 7 a.m., 7 a.m. on Saturday morning to learn about what it meant to be an authentic man, to be a better husband, to be a better father, to learn what it meant to live this life out in the world. And what was amazing wasn't so much that, but numerous wives who came up to me and said, I don't know what you guys are talking about, and I don't know what you're doing, but my husband is a completely different person. That's awesome. I love that. 200 women that show up for a simulcast on the weekend who take time out of their busy schedules to learn how to read their Bibles, and at the end of it, 12 of them gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Amen. 
a person who started a food bank program without any prodding of us and now helps feed over 20 kids each week through a local school. Pretty incredible. A business owner family in the church who decided our business is going to be for Jesus Christ. And so they hired a chaplain and they pray with their leaders each day. Who does that? But they said Jesus will be at the center of our business. Numerous stories of people who have started Bible studies and prayer time at their companies, even at risk of losing their job. That is awesome. I have seen the alcoholic find hope. I have seen the angry person find peace. I have seen the drug addict find freedom. I have seen the grieving person find a family and the struggling find answers. My dear friends, God is at work at Heritage Church. Don't listen otherwise. He is at work here. And I don't care what the news says. I don't care what the news says. And I don't care what the culture says that Christianity is dying and that it's no longer relevant. Ask all these people whose lives were changed in Jesus Christ. And I dare you to tell me that because Jesus is alive and God is on his throne. Amen. So how about you? How about you? What have you seen? And heard. Because you will have an opportunity in the coming week to share that with people. And here's what I'm asking of you this week. Rubber hits the road. Practically speaking, what are you asking this week, Jason? And it's this. I want you to look for those little wow moments. Oftentimes someone will say to me, I just want to know where God's at work in my life. And I'm a little baffled by that because I'll be honest with you, I firmly believe in my heart God is at work everywhere around us. We just aren't paying attention sometimes because God is in that conversation with the person in the grocery store. He is in that relationship with the person taking your order at the restaurant. He's in that person who calls you and says, hey, do you got a moment? Can we talk? That person you hold the door open for or maybe help carry a box in from their car. There are hundreds of ways during the week in which you can engage someone and show them in small ways the love of Jesus Christ. And if you continually do that, if you continually try to find these opportunities to show them Jesus Christ and what you do, those little wows over time will add up to a big wow and they will say, I don't know what it is, I'm not sure, but you've got something that's different and I want it. The gospel isn't just something we tell somebody. The gospel is something we live every single day. And so this week, you will have an opportunity. And I don't want you to come to me and ask me for ideas. I want you to pray and say, God, show me those opportunities. Because if you ask, he'll show you. And you'll be able to live out this incredible life of Jesus Christ and watch him take the ordinary to the extraordinary as the Holy Spirit lives in and through you. Let's pray. Dear God, may we be a group of people who don't settle for the ordinary. May we be a church that wants to live extraordinary lives, but realizing that starts with trusting you, knowing you living for you. May we be a group of people whose heart beats as your heart beats, who look for those opportunities throughout the week to engage the culture. And like that early church and that Roman official describing them, when the world sees us, it goes, wow. 
So Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be the church, not just go to church. In your name, amen.